Brothers and sisters, would you please open up your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We are going to be reading from verses 7 through 18. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word if you are able? And before we read God's word, let us ask for the Lord's help and his blessing before we read his word together. Let us pray. Father God, with our Bibles open before us, we come and ask for your help. That the Spirit of God would illumine the printed page to us, that our minds would be alert and open to its truth, and that our lives will be quick to welcome it and obey it and live in light of it. Help us both in speaking and in listening to do so in such a way, O Lord, that honors and glorifies you, the living God. For in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hear God's word from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to that which has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may also increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this Light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The most sacred symbol in Oklahoma City is a tree. Yes, a tree. A sprawling, shade-bearing, 80-year-old American elm tree. Tourists drive from miles around to see this tree. People pose for pictures underneath this tree. Arborists carefully protect this tree 
She adorns posters and she adorns letterhead. Other trees grow fuller, greener, more beautiful, but none is equally as cherished as this tree. The city treasures this tree not because of her appearance, but because of her endurance. Why? Because this particular tree endured the Oklahoma City bombing. Timothy McVeigh parked his death-ridden truck only yards from this tree. His hatred killed 168 people and 250 more were injured from this, or sorry, 850 more were injured from this bombing at the federal building. And this tree was buried in the rubble. No one, no one expected this tree to survive. No one, in fact, gave any thought to the dusty branch stripped tree. It was just another one, another thing that was going to be taken down and thrown away. But then the tree began to bud. Sprouts pressed through the, the damaged bark. Green leaves pushed away the dark soot. Life appeared in this acre of death. People noticed, and the tree modeled the resilience that the, the victims so deeply desired. They gave this elm tree a name. And what was the name? The name was the survivor tree. What would it take for you to be as resilient as this American elm tree? What would it take for you to be able to understand and to, to be able to withstand the, the explosions and the hardships of life and to not just survive this life, but to actually thrive in the middle of all kinds of difficulty? This morning, for just a few moments, I want to look at this passage of scripture that we just read, and I want to do three things. I want to show you that life is full of trials. Secondly, I want to show you how you can hope in the middle of these trials. And lastly, I want to show you how you can actually get that hope. First of all, I want to show you that life is full of trials. Listen again to verses 7 through 12. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to the death of for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Paul has given us a pretty powerful picture in verse 7 of what life is really like. He says that we have this treasure. But what is this treasure that we have? 
This treasure is the good news of what Jesus has done. It's what we are celebrating this Easter morning. But we have this treasure, this good news, in jars of clay. If you're anything like my family, we have some nice storage containers in our house. That we, These storage containers are the kind that you want to keep, the kind that you want to protect. You look after them because these storage containers actually cost a good amount of money. But then you have those plastic containers. You know what I'm talking about. Those plastic containers that find themselves underneath all the cupboards in, a, in another uh, plastic container. The ones that come from the dollar store or, or come from your takeout food. And when someone comes over and you want to send food home with them, you put it in those cheap plastic containers and give it to them. And when they ask, you know, hey, do you want this? Do you want this container back? You say, oh, no, no, no. You keep it. Why? Because it's worth almost nothing. It's, it's disposable. And Paul says that we are like that. Back then, jars of clay were fragile. They were expendable. They were cheap. They were unattractive. And now, now Paul isn't putting us down here by saying that we have our jars of clay, but he's making a pretty profound statement about our life. We are pretty weak. We are, we are confronted with weakness almost every day of our lives, even when we are young. We reach the end of our life, our life's capacity pretty quickly. And this is a universal reality. But then Paul goes on and he, he lists hardships. He gives four paradoxes that form his reality and that are going to help us as we look at them. These things shouldn't belong together, but they do in, in Paul's life. And the reality is they can in ours too. Here they are. He said that he is afflicted in every way, but he's not crushed. Or as one person paraphrased it, he is squeezed down, but not squashed. He says that he is perplexed, but he is not driven to to despair. Or again, in the words of someone else, he is bewildered, but he's not totally befuddled. He is persecuted, but he is not forsaken. He is not left on his own. He is struck down, but he is not destroyed. He's knocked down, but he is not knocked out. Paul's life was a life that was brutal. When you look at Paul's life and, and just take a look at part of the paradoxes, you see that he was afflicted. He was perplexed. He was per persecuted. He was struck down. Life is hard. And later on in, in chapter six, Paul writes, but as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in, a, in afflictions, in, in hardships, in calamities, in beatings, in imprisonments, in riots, in labors, in sleepless nights, hunger by, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love by truthful speech and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. We are treated as imposters and yet are true. 
as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. We have these images in our mind, don't we, of what life should be like. We think ideally that this is what my life should be like. It should be relatively worry-free. It should be problem-free. But Paul tells us that this is not what we should expect in our life. And most people in history, and even people today, especially in this season that we find ourselves in, have no illusions about the difficulty of life. They're not surprised by suffering. We're, we are weak and we are fragile and life is relentlessly hard. In Timothy, Tim Keller's book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, he writes this. Suffering is everywhere, unavoidable, and its scope often overwhelms. The loss of loved one, debilitating and fatal illnesses, personal betrayals, financial reversals, and moral failures. All of these will eventually come upon you if you live out a normal lifespan. No one is immune. Therefore, no matter what precautions we take, no matter how well we have put together a good life, no matter how hard we have worked to be healthy, wealthy, comfortable with friends and family, and successful with our career, something will inevitably ruin it. No matter, no amount of money, power, and planning can prevent bereavement, dire illness, relational betrayal, financial disaster, or a host of other troubles from entering your life. Human life is fragile and subject to forces beyond our power to manage. Life is tragic. Can I get an amen? Many of you have experienced this in your life. You know that life is hard. It is tragic. And there is many troubles. And so, that, so that's our life. But here's the second thing that I, I want to show you. I want to show you how you can have hope in the middle of trials. You can have hope. And so here's the irony. Some people are able to find hope and thrive even when they experience these weaknesses and even when they experience extreme suffering. And Paul is an example of this. He doesn't deny suffering whatsoever. In fact, he has listed them one after another here in this section and later in chapter 6. He doesn't deny it, but he finds hope in the middle of this suffering. Where, where does Paul get that hope? Why is he not crushed? Why is he not driven to despair? And why is he not forsaken? Why is he not destroyed in the midst of all this suffering and pain? There are at least four reasons in this passage. But today, I'm going to show you one. Just focus on one, and here it is. The resurrection 
gives us the ability to survive hardship because death, my friends, is not the end. Listen to verse 14 again, would you? Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. What Paul is saying here is this. When God raised Jesus from the dead, it was a promise that he would also do this one day for those who believe and trust in Jesus Christ. So if you are believing in Jesus Christ, if you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you are resting in the truth of the gospel, this promise is for you as well. Today, Christians are celebrating the event that took place Easter Sunday almost 2,000 years ago. God raised Jesus from the dead. It wasn't just that Jesus came back to life. He was given a new body, and this new body was absolutely perfect. He wasn't, it wasn't subject to weakness. It wasn't subject to aging. It wasn't subject to, to death. It was like the human body that he had, but it was even better. It was completely a new kind of human life, and it was the life that we all want. Paul is saying that Jesus' resurrection is more than a historical event. Oh, surely it was a historical event. It is also, though, my friends, it is a promise that God will do the same thing for us. All Christians everywhere will be gathered together in the presence of Jesus with new bodies. We will appear absolutely blameless in his presence, united with Christ, with a multitude of others who have gone on before us and those who are still with us, those who have put their hope in Christ Jesus. And because of this, Paul could put up with the difficulties that he is facing in his life because these were just temporary problems. They're just for now. Did you see how he described it? For this light, temporary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparisons. Beyond all comparisons. So let's get real about get really real about this. This has been a very difficult month. Open up the newspaper or watch any news and you will read about the thousands of people who have prematurely died because of this coronavirus. And during the season, it is hard to find any other world news other than about this coronavirus. But it was just a year ago where 50 people were killed in a mosque in Christchurch in New Zealand. Or the bombing in Sri Lanka, which left 250 people dead and 500 wounded after a series of bombs exploded through churches, hotels, and other areas during Easter services in three, service, in three, three cities. Or here in the States, we have had mass shootings in Dayton, Ohio, and El Paso. We, we've read about terrorist attacks, injustices, 
premature deaths. Just look around you. And you can see that people are struggling with relational back uh, breakdowns, mental and physical illnesses, and huge amounts of stress. And Paul is not denying this reality whatsoever. He doesn't promise us an easy escapism from the brutal realities of life. There is no escaping this stuff. What he promises, though, and this is good news, is that they are temporary. One day, we will be free from all of this stuff. And Jesus' resurrection is proof that this is not just a pipe dream. No, it, it's, all, it's already a reality. And our, turning, our turn is going to be coming soon. Timothy Keller's book, again, he, he doesn't provide any cheap answers for the problem of suffering because there are none. But he, he says something profound, that Christians are able to suffer with hope because we know that suffering is not the final word. Listen to this. Tim Keller says, The Christian doctrine of the resurrection and the renewal of the world when all the biblical promises and implications are weighed and grasped, comes the closest to any real explanation that we have. The resurrection of the body means that we do not merely receive a consolation for the life we have lost, but a restoration of it. I love it. A restoration of our lives. We not only get the bodies and the lives that we had, but the bodies and lives we wished for but had never before received. We get a glorious, perfect, unimaginably rich life in a renewed material world. Steve DeWitt in his book, Eyes Wide Open, says this, This world and its history are prelude and foretaste. All the sunrises and sunsets, symphonies and rock concerts, feasts and friendships are but whispers. They are a prologue to the grander story and an even better one. Only there, it will never end. J.I. Packer said it well. Hearts on earth say in the course of a joyful experience, I don't want this ever to end but it invariably does. The hearts in heaven say, I want this to go on forever. And it will. There can be no better news than this, my friends. In the end, there are only a few possible approaches when it comes to suffering. One is you can try to avoid suffering, but my friends, it never works. You can never avoid suffering. You can try to accept suffering, but this, my friends, offers absolutely no hope. We know that it's not the way it's supposed to be. Or we can embrace suffering and just try to find the good in the suffering. But some kinds of suffering are just way too overwhelming for us. But how about this? Instead, you can trust in Jesus and find your suffering is engulfed in something far greater. 
that it's just a prelude to God setting absolutely everything right. Not only will he take away everything that has been bad, he will restore everything to the, to the world and to the life to and life that we've always wanted. The last, that last way is the only one that really works. You, you can't avoid, you can't accept, and you can't just embrace suffering, but you can trust that God will undo suffering. Everything sad will come untrue. And Jesus' resurrection is just the beginning of what's going to happen to all of us who believe in Jesus Christ. The resurrection, Easter, gives us the ability to survive hardship because death, my friends, is not the end. Amen? Amen. That is good news. But here, I want to give you one last and final point. I want to show you how you can get that hope. There's two ways. The first is trust in what Jesus has done for you. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ has died for your sin, that he he was buried and he rose again to give us new life. The resurrection was God's amen to Christ. It is finished. The gospel is the good news of, of God's amazing grace to sinners like you and me. All we have to do, my friends, is come with empty hands and receive the gift that he freely offers you. I want to encourage you today, trust. Trust in what Jesus has done for you. Secondly, I want to encourage you how to get this hope. To live in light of that hope today. Fix your eyes on that hope. And my friends, it is a discipline. When you're suffering, you need to cling to that hope. You need to bring the reality of your future into the present and grab it and don't let go. God's promises are for you today. Rick Warren, the pastor of Saddleback Church and the author of The Purpose Driven Life, together with his wife Kay, went through a devastating loss when their 27-year-old son Matthew took his life after battling with depression and mental illness for years. I can't even imagine. About a year after this tragedy, Rick said, I've often been asked, how have you made it? How have you kept going in your pain. And I've often replied, the answer is Easter. You see, the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus happened over three days. Friday was the day of suffering and pain and agony. Saturday was the day of doubt and confusion and misery. But Easter, that Sunday, was a day of hope and joy and victory. Rick Warren goes on to say, and here's the fact of life. 
You will face these three days over and over and over in your lifetime. And when you do, you'll need, you'll find yourself asking, as I did, three fundamental questions. Number one, what do I do in my days of pain? Two, how do I get through my days of doubt and confusion? And three, how do I get to the days of joy and victory? The answer is Easter. The answer is Easter. My friends, Easter gives us the ability to survive the hardship that we find ourselves in because we know that death is not the end. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you that on this Easter morning, we are reminded of the power of the resurrection. We thank you that the good news of the gospel is for us today. And Lord Jesus, I pray that we receive and rest upon that good news as found in Jesus Christ today. Lord, I pray that if there is any hearing this morning of this good news that are confused by it, Lord, would you give them clarity, clear their minds, clear their hearts, and may they receive it again this morning as the, early, the, the disciples did on that Easter morning. And for those of us, Lord, who are in Christ Jesus, Lord, may we trust this good news again and live in light of that hope again today. Lord, in these unsure times, may we rest in Christ alone. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. My friends, would you receive the Lord's blessing? Lift up your hearts and your hands with joy and in confidence. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace now and forevermore. Amen. Go in peace.